0: Welcome back to the Sinestro Podcast, where we discuss the movies that we love, new and old. Uh, We are back after COVID hit, and um, this is the first quarantine podcast I've done. Uh, And I have a special guest, uh, a friend of mine named Ziad Ek uh, from Kim's Convenience. Say hello to the people, Ziad.
1: Hey, how's it going, everyone?
0: So, Ziad, how's your quarantine
1: uh quarantine's been decent. Uh I I'm lucky enough I live with uh two roommates, so we keep each other entertained, but honestly it's been uh hella Netflix and uh <laughs> you know not eating the healthiest, but uh getting to cook a little more than usual and uh trying to go outside and keeping a safe distance as much as we can.
0: Yes. Uh I agree with uh the cooking part. Uh my culinary skills have stepped up Drastically since I've been uh, with my wife and I I quarantined together. So we uh, we've been we've been going back and forth with the recipes today. We just made uh, some some very spicy nachos. So uh, I'd like to ask you a few questions, first of all, before we talk more about quarantine and stuff. Yeah, Um, Absolutely. So you're on Kim's Convenience uh, season four. You play Omar, uh, who works at a car rental, uh, I guess, car rental office. Right.
1: Yeah. Yeah, that's right.
0: Uh, so before I actually, before I ask any questions, I just want to say that I I love that that's my favorite part of the show is is the uh, the car rental <laughs> dynamic with the employees. Um, I think it's 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 great office uh, banter. It's it's well written, really clever. Uh, I said this before to him and I'll say it to all you guys, uh, I'm not really uh, the target audience for CBC, but uh, because they cater to a rural audience, I guess they have the same programming for years. But Kim's Convenience is very well written and, and so refreshing. Uh, like the jokes are bang on. Uh, comedic timing is incredible. I am shocked that it is a CBC program. <laughs> yeah. um, but so what what is it like? Um, I guess on set is my first question. Like, uh, how do you feel with the other actors and the work dynamic?
1: Um, so... Kim's Convenience is a really special show because not only has it reached an international audience, but the way it's formulated right now, it really is split between two kind of worlds where you have the convenience store world and the uh, car rental world. But to tell you how good this set is, everyone treats you like a friend. And even someone like the lead actor of the show, Paul Sun-Young Lee, who plays Mr. Kim, who I never get to have any seeds with because he's essentially in a different world. My first day on set, I step in, I see him, he shakes my hand, looks me in the eye, introduces himself, and uh, he sets the tone for everyone else on that show. It really does feel like a family on that set, and everyone is so nice, so talented, and such a load of fun um, to play with. So, um, yeah, I, I truly couldn't be more blessed to be on Kim's Convenience for now two seasons and then uh, and, and more.
0: That's that's amazing. So it's a, one of those things where you're like you're happy to get up and get to set early, and like you're you're excited for the day.
1: Absolutely, I'm not gonna lie. Like those six thirty a.m. like call times are a little early for me, but uh, you know you get there, you warm up, and uh, we got great craft services. You get your breakfast there. Your makeup people are super nice with you. Uh, all the assistant directors are very welcoming, and you you're really happy to kind of do your job.
0: That's awesome i had i I've worked on some pretty some good sets and I've worked on some toxic sets before uh do you have every like did you ever have any of the experiences where uh you know sometimes the takes are not getting maybe not you specifically but you saw someone who wasn't you know the the takes weren't taking and and then frustration kind of built attention on the on on set or anything like that
1: um for Kim's convenience uh it- it really depends on the director. We I've had the pleasure of working with three rotating directors, and uh, a couple of them are really quick with their takes, and a few of them like to give you a few more takes. Um, but really, because everyone is so prepared most of the time, it you don't get to get frustrated. You get to keep playing and have more fun with it. And uh, if you do get frustrated, then you're lucky enough to have a very good supporting cast around you that'll bring you up and help you elevate the scene.
0: Honestly, that's how that's how it comes off. Even as a viewer watching it, it doesn't. Yeah, exactly how you describe that is what it sounds like. Uh, It sounds like a very friendly environment that kind of nurtures talent rather than, you know, squeezes it out of you.
1: And, you know, what I think is a bit of a secret uh, for why it works so well is that a lot of the people that work on Kim's Convenience, the actors are come from a theater background. And as people may or may not know that there's slight differences in the way you act for the screen and for the stage. But when you have that experience of having gone through theater school and working in a very collaborative kind of way, when you're a theater actor, there are just certain habits, I guess, that uh, shine through when you're on set and every everyone that's on Kim's Beans tends to have some kind of solid improv or theater uh, kind of background because they work a lot with soul pepper actors from Toronto as well.
0: oh wow, yeah, th- that really shows, and I guess it, like uh, stage plays are different, right? I guess the memorization of your lines is a lot more crucial for stage plays rather than uh, than than, than uh, screen work, right?
1: yeah, like you you have a bit of leeway. We have a great uh, script supervisor who helps us uh, keep on track with the lines we say, but uh, the difference being that in a play, you it's a long form kind of thing you have an hour and a half to remember and you got to hit your mark every single time with a tv show you get to do it over and over again if you mess up and the lines tend to be shorter there aren't as many like big paragraphs and so you get to focus on like five things to say at a time and then compartmentalize that and move on to the next
0: yeah i mean it's and and then you know the editing room floor kind of makes it look seamless right at the end so it's yeah and of course that's
1: that's where the magic is made really
0: uh, yeah it really is i've i've sat in on some i so i i recently directed and wrote my first short film uh not uh, right before quarantine i guess february uh, late february and that uh, i sat in on the editing obviously because i have to have final say but the editing is where it's it's like it's legit sewing magic together, and it, it, you can't do anything. And, and just just like for a short film that we did a twelve hour shoot almost. It was you're nothing without your team, so that's why I was asking these questions about your work atmosphere and stuff because to make something come to light that that's the, like Kim's Convenience is that much high quality, uh, you gotta have an awesome all star team, and that's what you guys have right now.
1: Absolutely, you really do need everyone to be on their A game, and plus, like. I I should say that uh, this season four that just uh, finished airing in Canada and is now on Netflix in the US and in a lot of international territories, uh, the writers really elevated their game by a couple of notches. It really is the funniest season produced of the show so far. And I think that's synonymous also with the show taking off the way it does.
0: Yeah, I agree. Uh, Every joke hits uh, and it hits quick. And sometimes you got to like rewind and get, cause there's another joke right after it. And it's, I think the comedic timing is awesome. And I think, I think you guys got something special here.
1: Yeah. I mean, Uh, I'm I'm super lucky to, like I said, to be working with so many like improv actors. I'm not personally an improv person, but when you're surrounded by people who are really quick with their wits, it just, uh, like you says, just like bangs on.
0: So, I mean, I guess that leads me to my next question. How did you get into acting?
1: Uh, I think I have a pretty like standard story of, you know, you're a child and you want attention and uh, you put on little plays with your friends. But I really got to give the credit to my parents. They both studied cinema uh, in university, oh, wow. like from a theoretical like perspective. And so growing up, I always saw a bunch of uh, international movies from Egypt, France, Italy and the U.S., obviously. And so that was always kind of at play in the household. And then, of course, the other big part of that is having a big brother who he used to do a little theater. And obviously, being the younger brother, I wanted to emulate that. And uh, I just got uh, fortunate enough that I took it and ran with it.
0: That's so cool. So your parents knew the whole theory and basically are really academic about film, right?
1: Very academic, yeah, for sure. They do teach uh, still cinema, like uh, uh, cultural uh, cultural aspects of cinema and things like that. But uh, because they have that kind of world uh, cinema knowledge, that really helps you see a lot of different perspectives and uh, unlock a lot of different worlds that you might not get if you're only watching Hollywood.
0: That is true. I've been getting into the, uh, the foreign flicks uh, here and there. I wet my beak here and there. Uh, I need to step it up, though, because... There's a whole world of cinema out there that's just waiting to be consumed.
1: Yeah, uh, honestly, we, I think we could all be doing more. Like, I even, I'm even trying to get into like more Japanese stuff, anime stuff, and things like that, just to expand the horizons.
0: Oh, so wh- where are you from, by the way? Just for to let the audience know.
1: I was born in Egypt. Uh, the whole family is Egyptian, and I moved to Canada when I was two years old. So I really consider myself more Canadian than Egyptian, but ethnically and culturally, of course, you can't take that away from
0: me. Okay, I get yeah, no, I'm with you, man. Um so do you do you plan? Well, hopefully, you know, if this corona thing kind of dies down, do you have plans to kind of stay in the Canadian film industry? Do you want to branch out to the States? Uh what, what are you thinking?
1: Yeah, I mean, I'm I'm still fairly new to this game, to be honest. I've uh graduated university um like two years ago now to this date. Uh in June 2018, I graduated and I got my first gig on Kim's convenience right away. But uh, yeah, of course, my my, my ultimate dream is to be able to um, make movies in Hollywood, act in movies in Hollywood. But I think that's a lot of people's ultimate dream. And it takes really time, patience and perseverance. So for the foreseeable future, I just want to kind of expand my um, my register here in Canada because there's so much good work being produced right here.
0: Yeah, I, I Can, uh, right now i guess toronto even ottawa right now is, is, is bumping up um there is a lot of talent in you know in front of and behind the camera that is just like about to explode toronto is really bumping like toronto's always been bumping and vancouver is bumping uh ottawa's starting to bump uh, but the canadian film scene has a lot to offer and and it's starting to show like it's starting to show you know kim's convenience is a prime example of kind of rolling the dice on on new talent and and, and giving people a shot who can perform, and I think you know. I think we're ready to see more of that from this country.
1: Yeah, no doubt. I mean, obviously, on the TV like standpoint, we've got Kim's Convenience and we've got Shit's Creek that just uh ended, but that w- went really big in the United States. But also, like a lot of American stuff shoots here, like the CW stuff all shoots in Vancouver. Some shows mm-hmm. shoot in Toronto, and then we've got some of our own like Canadian talent that is making it very big in the United States. You know.
0: Yeah, I think they shoot suits in Toronto too, right? That's, yeah, for sure. <laughs> even when I was living there, I was hoping to run into Harvey one of these days, but it never happened.
1: <laughs> I definitely like have been near like a uh, uh, a set on the street like for suits.
0: Oh man. That's so, all so you saw the magic happen, eh?
1: Yeah, every time every like now and then if you're like in the downtown uh, area, of the entertainment district, you'll see like some NYC cabs and you're like, "Oh, <laughs> I guess they're shooting something right now.
0: <laughs> yeah, they they have the uh and then I guess for the aerial shots they just get stock footage from New York, right? To kind of cheat. Yeah, I uh,
1: suppose there's like yeah. a million like <laughs> a million <laughs> shots of New York you can get. But I mean, yeah. I think Toronto also has like stepped in for Toronto stepped in for like Gotham City for uh some stuff uh, in the DC universe. I think they've probably probably shadowed for Chicago as well. I mean, ultimately oh, wow. all these cities are like all big skyscrapers now in Toronto is no different. So it all mm-hmm. works out.
0: Yeah. I guess uh, shooting in Toronto is good for tax credits. Right. Um, I, mean, I guess they, they, the production companies get, uh, you know, a break depending on where they shoot. Like, I don't know. I know in Ottawa, they shoot, uh, six hallmark movies a year, I guess around yeah. the same time, every time. Right. So it's always, I worked on, I, I like I, I, volunteered on one of the set, not volunteered, but I did for my, uh, for my, uh, college community service hours. I worked uh-huh. on, uh, set for one of those hallmark lifetime movies yeah and it is it they churn them out it's a it's like a factory right so this, yeah, it's like yeah. they just keep coming and i've noticed like it is some fairly decent actors like pretty good actors working them reading mediocre scripts and i felt like oh well you know the opposite doesn't work you can't have bad acting and good writing <laughs> right? um, but they have these like super like formulaic mediocre hallmark lifetime movie things acted by talented people and then just i guess i understand the appeal now i used to be a hater before
1: yeah i mean no doubt i look like it's like having been on sets. you understand that like no one's out there trying to make a crappy movie uh but there's an audience for everything really and like the actors that are involved uh unfortunately they end up in that kind of like cookie cutter setting but It kind of is what it is because there's an audience for it. Like as long as people are going to watch these the same hallmark Christmas movie being made like a billion times a year times like the last twenty years, then they're going to keep making it.
0: Yeah, yeah, there is there's a legit audience for it, and you know what? It's like they I I like seeing I I think it's I think it's nice seeing a crew that can rely on uh, you know constant work in the same field. And you know what I mean? Like it pays, it pays a lot of people who want to be in the industry. So for sure. Know, I mean, out it from be, that, yeah.
1: It must be really nice for them. No doubt.
0: For sure. Yeah. Like I, I mean, it's I, you know, once you start like really looking at things, you become less of a harsh critic on, on stuff. <laughs> then, then like you start to understand the mechanics and why it's necessary. And rather than tearing it down, you get to a place where you're like, you know what? I appreciate this. This needs to be here.
1: Yeah. And unfortunately the reality, like for uh new actors starting out like me, like I'm still new and um, uh, what have you like Canadian actors, the reality is you have to take the contracts that come and the contracts that come in Canada. Um, some of them, like you said, they're Hallmark like in Ottawa, for example, or there'll be like teen stuff or stuff for kids that shoots in Toronto and Vancouver. But it is what it is with our current situation. Like you have to examine for yourself, like, What is it that you want to do? Do you want to make money off of acting? Well, if so, then you're going to have to kind of pour water into your wine and accept roles that might not be as juicy as what you'd hoped for.
0: Yeah, I guess you got to pay your dues, kind of build a repertoire, shake some hands, uh, you know. And uh, I guess the only way to build a reputation is to say yes.
1: Yeah, and then, I mean, obviously, we're not even talking about the fact that, like, the industry, like, really is still – overwhelmingly white and Mm -hmm. so like the opportunity levels vary like you're probably never going to find me uh, like an arab canadian on a hallmark movie because if you put like 10 of these posters like side by side you'll (laughs) notice there are some similarities in that (laughs) the lead actors tend to be white and blonde
0: you could totally pass for a latino guy
1: (laughs) yeah i could i could back in the day i i I probably would have done pretty decent like maybe 15 years ago but things are things are starting to change in that sense that even like for us like arabs it tends to be like a contentious question as to whether we should be even playing latinos and things like that and vice versa of course
0: true true they um so what 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 would how do you find it navigating as an arab in this industry like what how do you have you like the temperature is what i'm asking what do you think it is for you
1: um honestly like the you'd expect like every Arab to just get a bunch of like terrorist type roles like that's what you keep hearing in the you know the media and the the, like that's what you keep hearing that is the main thing that Arab actors get but it so depends on your look and when you're someone that looks like me where I'm not super brown, but I'm not white and I can't grow like facial hair. I don't fit that stereotype of the uh terrorist that Hollywood may have, you know, which is like a darker skinned guy, thick eyebrows, thick black beard. And so for me it hasn't really affected me in that sense. Like I get put in more of an open ethnicity type thing. And every now and then like that Caucasian every now and then, you know, but mm-hmm. that's only because they really look at like your facial features and like your skin color and things like that.
0: I feel like that might open you up though. Right. Cause if you're not getting typecasted as the terrorist, then you, and you'd like, you, like you said, you're like vaguely ethnic, right? So you could, you could legit pass for anything. If you, yeah, think for
1: sure. That. Like I'm, I'm, you know, you could be a tan white I'm guy. For.
0: I you mean, yeah. White.
1: Like there's Italians that look like me, you know, and I look like Italians or Latinos or whatever. Uh, Definitely, I definitely like am blessed by that. I mean, of course, I've also done like a couple terrorist auditions every now and then. Like you can't avoid it. You speak a little bit of Arabic, and like you're going to see those roles pop up. Mm -hmm. But uh, yeah, it's it's a tough uh, kind of category to be put in when you're not quite white, but you're not quite not white, and so you just kind of got to navigate and take what you can get and hope that someone somewhere is going to have a little vision and give you a bigger shot, and then it's up to you to really just take it
0: yeah i i mean i I hope i hope it uh the tides change a little more drastically than they are uh you know like at the end of the day it's like you're right we see the same faces on these posters but i'd love to see your face or faces like mine a black face all over these you know but um question who would be your dream director to work with tomorrow if everything cleared up and you had one wish like one director you said i I want to, I want to star in his movie or, you know, have a big role.
1: Wow. That's crazy. There's like, obviously like so many directors. I mean.
0: Okay. Three in no particular order then that I won't make you narrow it down to one
1: oh three yeah no three is perfect look i have a top two right away which is quentin tarantino and martin scorsese
0: my god my kind of people you know this
1: (laughs) you know like they're obviously like scorsese is basically the greatest director of all time or the greatest director living all
0: time you know this
1: and uh tarantino like it has created himself such a niche in what he does and unfortunately he only has one movie left according to him but you know we'll see uh, so these would be two, uh, absolutely no doubt, no questions asked. And then the mm-hmm. third, the third, you can slot a few people in. Like, of course, there's our Canadian boy, Denis Villeneuve, who does a lot of great work these days. Um, who has I'm thinking, legit
0: dominated this last decade.
1: <laughs> yeah, oh, he's killed it. Like, even like talking to somebody sometimes they won't recognize the name, but then I'll list the movies and they'll be like, oh, yeah, no, he's dope. Mm-hmm. Uh, so someone like that, that hits a little closer to home or Christopher Nolan, because like, I'm a huge Batman fan, and my favorite movie is Inception. So Christopher Nolan oh. seems like it would be a lot of fun to work with.
0: Dude, you're speaking my language. Inception's been my favorite. It's been, it's my top, I'd say it's, a, it's my number two or three of the decade. It was my favorite for the longest time. I think I watched it like 32 times.
1: It's crazy. Okay. It's just yeah. crazy well-written.
0: It's brilliant. So, okay, so question. Was it a dream or not?
1: Uh... <laughs> uh <laughs> uh no no it wasn't a dream
0: okay why
1: uh no man i, I can't get into this like the, <laughs> the top is uh almost done spinning at the end like i don't think that would be crazy
0: <laughs> well my thing is the the spinning top belonged to his wife the whole time it wasn't his right so i mean does that mean it was her dream and we're, i don't know
1: <laughs> well that's a that's a thing right if it's her top then like he couldn't keep it spinning forever right like
0: that's true you're right actually it would yeah it it would have it would have spun forever every time all right yeah inception so layered like a decade plus later we're talking about it still that movie is like you gotta love nolan for coming up with something so original and like dominating the box office with it that's like brilliant writing
1: yeah and like people take him for granted these days to be honest but I, won't have I do not that like the
0: Nolan I do not like the the Nolan slander. I think it's I think people are just being edge lords and trying to sound original and cool. Absolutely. Uh, I think it's ridiculous to 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 hate on someone so talented. Like The Dark Knight is up there. It recalibrated the whole industry. You know what I mean? <laughs> like it recalibrated yeah. the Oscars. It recal- like it it is undeniable the mark he has left with that movie.
1: I mean, yeah, The Dark Knight, of course, like, obviously being a huge Batman fan, like, that's a huge one for me. But even, like, the the movement, like, the the way he's using IMAX cameras, who's, which changing the game, or the way he's pushing for film to still be a thing, the way he wants to keep cinemas open, like, he's kind of at the forefront of that fight, and he keeps innovating, like, and he keeps making movies more immersive, so... You know, yeah, okay. Interstellar gets a little wonky, but like, have you seen Dunkirk? Like the things that he's doing with the camera in Dunkirk, like this is crazy. Like, I'm not gonna
0: have any slander. (laughs) Yeah, no, no slander on Dunkirk either, man. Dunkirk was an achievement. If you can, the whole movie was a third act. First of all, that that was like crazy. It's it's insane. Dunkirk's my favorite war movie, uh, just because of like the technical precision and like the choices he made in storytelling, because the whole movie can be a trailer or a third act or whatever like you could do he did so much like in 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 kind of translating what desperation looks like in a war i've never seen that and i thought that was beautiful
1: yeah it was very well
0: put interstellar for me a lot of people say it was wonky but i interstellar is aging beautifully for me first of all that was a real uh that was nolan's tugging at your heartstring more than he's done in any other movie and i just I love that movie to death, man. I, I will not hear Interstellar Send <laughs> Slender either.
1: Hey, and look, I'll be honest, like there's some movies where like they're so good that I don't want to like touch them again and I don't want to give them a rewatch like right away. And I remember Interstellar when it came out and I saw it. I posted a status saying something like it's the space movie of a generation. Like it's this generation's 2001, a space odyssey, because that's the kind of effect it had on me. It was so crazy. And, I, you know, I haven't rewatched it since, I'll be honest. But uh, I feel like I feel like that statement uh, isn't necessarily far from the truth, to be honest.
0: I I, I totally agree. I totally agree. I it's love ahead the of whole, his time. Yeah, man. I love the whole gravity uh, and and love transcending time and space. I thought that was beautiful. Yeah. and I thought that was, you know, Anne Hathaway's little speech there about why do we love people are d- that are dead? It's, it doesn't make sense. And like, I'm like, it's just poetry, man. I just loved it. Yeah. It tugged at my heartstrings. How'd you feel about Arrival? I know we're, we're going way off topic. <laughs> I'm just nerding <laughs> out with you for a sec. But,
1: yeah, for but, sure.
0: But speaking of space for- movies, how did you feel about Arrival?
1: Bro, Arrival hit me like a ton of bricks, okay? Like, I'm watching the whole thing and I'm like, all right, like, this is cool. This is cool. Whatever. And then the twist at the end, where they explain everything, and they like go back in, and it it left me like you know, because the more movies you see, the more you're able to like watch and kind of guess. Okay, I see where this is going. Like I understand like that pattern, whatever. So when a movie surprises you the way like Arrival did, that's just like such a such an experience to cherish. I feel.
0: Yeah, I agree. I, I feel Arrival for me did the best job of time paradox and time and, and time travel that I've seen in movies. I didn't expect it to go that route uh, until they explained it. You're right. Uh, Once the twist is explained and I'm like, wow, simultaneously, like the whole, and then also like the linguistics, how would we figure out translation? How would we approach talking to an alien race? Because that would literally be the first thing we'd have to do. It it wouldn't be like every other alien invasion movie or whatever. uh, They jump straight to combat or to, Uh, you know, figuring out a way to uh, destroy them or something, you know, but then I have yet to see one where they, you know, did the most logical thing, which is establish communication and start from the basics.
1: And you have to be really like smart with the way you write that script to be able to kind of flesh everything out and drop little hints at the beginning that no one's going to pick up until the very end. And then you kind of close the loop and re-explain it all. Uh, and also make it palatable so that people aren't just, like, mad confused, you know?
0: Yeah, yeah. No, for sure. <laughs> all right, that was a bit of a nerd out session. Uh, yeah. Also, uh, <laughs> two more questions about 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 uh, your favorite movies and stuff. How did you feel, first of all, about The Irishman?
1: Um, okay, The Irishman, I'm like I said earlier, I'm a huge Scorsese fan. I sat through that entire movie. I saw it at TIFF. Uh, At the light box, I mean, not during the festival or anything. Uh, And I sat through it and I loved it. It gets a little slow in the last half hour, but uh, Mm -hmm. I wouldn't cut anything out of it. I think it was a pretty thoughtful uh, evolution of the gangster genre that Scorsese made. And I think it's a mistake to just say that he remade Goodfellas or he remade Casino or whatever.
0: Yeah, Um, yeah. yeah. I don't like that slander either. (laughs) No, I'm on board with it. Yeah. And how did you feel about Once Upon a Time in Hollywood?
1: Kind of the same thing. Like Once Upon a Time in Hollywood it was a blast for me. Uh, it's a fairy tale, you know. Like I don't, I don't really see the issue with uh, the ending, the way it changed history because he's done that before. Mm-hmm. Is it his best movie? Uh, no. Like I, I do a ranking of his movies, and I place it right smack dab in the middle, like at number five, probably. But it's okay. a, it's a very well made movie. The uh, set design and the art direction is crazy. The music, as usual, is on point. The acting is on point, and uh, it's kind of it's it, it again. It shows him maturing because there's not a lot of violence, and the pace is very kind of uh, even throughout.
0: Yeah, he he really flexed the writer muscle in this one. This was, uh, I mean, besides the last you know wildness in the end, but bef- like it was it was like it was an exercise in in. In, in in uh pacing, as you said. Uh it was exercise in uh tension building, which is something I love about Tarantino. Uh yeah, that like Tension the, building is the best thing he can do.
1: The sequence at the Spawn Ranch, like, is straight out of a horror movie. It's crazy yeah. the first time you see it. It's uh something that I haven't seen from him really, like that type of tension. I've seen tension of course from him. I mean even mm-hmm. the beginning in Glorious Bastards or or no, sorry, not even the beginning, the, the strudel scene in Glorious Bastards where you both know that the other knows who who they are. You know, like, I get shivers just thinking about it.
0: Yeah, that was, yeah, he's, he's really good. at, But yeah, this is where he flexes the tension building uh, the most. And just to go back to Scorsese, last night is the first time I watched Silence. Have you seen Silence? Yeah, I have. You know, that movie started off really slow for me and I was nervous Uh, I thought it was going to be my first time saying I don't like a Scorsese movie, but at the end of it, I was blown away. I thought that uh, the the, I mean, everybody has the struggle of faith, everybody who has faith anyway. But I thought the movie was going to be them just trying to save, uh, you know, uh, one of the like Liam Neeson's character. Right. And just bring him back. But it ended up being a test of faith for them. And that. I was very interested in that story. Like, I, I would rather see their them be tested with the faith rather than yeah. them going on a on a, on a mission. And it, it spoke to me on, I guess, like, I'm a Muslim guy. So for me, I've had, you know, my own, like, I, you know, we've had tragedies in our lives. We've lost friends. We've lost. And so it puts you in a place where you're yeah. like, yo, you know, I don't want to question God or anything. But you start, you get to a desperate place. And that's, I guess that movie took me, like, I didn't feel alone. If I'm making sense, or I don't sound crazy.
1: <laughs> no, no, no. Absolutely, silence is a little tougher for me because, it, like, it's a little slow for me. Mm-hmm. But it, when it comes down to it, I don't truly. I don't think Scorsese can make a bad movie. Like, maybe the subject matter isn't as interesting, but still, the cinematography and the acting, and you know, there's still so many aspects that like make his films so good and so dominant. You know
0: yeah i agree man that's uh he can't make a bad movie but it is up to the subject matter right it's, it's true there's some things that are good that are just not for me yeah yeah so you know before we uh wrap up I, do you have any advice for up-and-coming actors of color uh you know arab actors uh you know just little tidbits you've picked up on your own uh without being told that you kind of learned on the fly uh any any advice
1: yeah man like I it's something everyone will say but you really have to be prepared every single time and uh and really put in the work so that you don't fail because the the second you you're not at 110% they're going to find someone else uh to do the job for you and also you have to know your worth like you have to decide what you will and won't do eventually Um, Like I said, fortunately, I haven't had to make those tough decisions too much, but there comes a point for sure when you're a person of color where you'll be faced with something a little more stereotypical and you'll have to decide, like, is this the right move moving forward? Like, if you're early on in your career, is this a stepping stone that you can use? Like, if you do take a role that you're not super proud of, uh, how are you going to spin that into your advantage? Because ultimately, you're the first person that has to put in the work. No one is going to do it for you
0: hundred percent. So, I mean, do you, so that, so that is a cause for concern, right? If you take, if you feel like you might take the wrong role and then you're that guy.
1: Yeah. Like, you know, I, I've, I've had to get some, some sides translated into like transliterated from Arabic into like English, but speaking Arabic. Um, cause I, I can't uh, read or write Arabic. And uh, I, my brother would help me. And he'd say like, look, you you shouldn't be doing that role. This, this is terrible. Like this is not only badly written, but it also doesn't make historical sense. And so you're just furthering the stereotype. And that, that was kind of a big eye opener for me where I was like, wow, like, yeah, I guess if I do get this role, that's going to be something I need to think about.
0: Very well said. It is true. Uh, Sometimes you gotta, you know, you gotta you gotta be true to yourself and also kind of true to your people and 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 have a little integrity um, to kind of spot out the irresponsible writing.
1: Yeah, like and, and I mean, look, like one of my favorite theater roles, for example, uh, was this uh, Egyptian lawyer, and it's this play called uh, "The Last Days of Judas Iscariot." I did that at my final year at Ryerson, and um, my director told me that he'd never seen the character being played so thoughtfully and and how he spun or how my performance spun the audience into liking him. And the reason being is that most people that do this role aren't actually Egyptian. Most people are, you know, some form of like Brown, quote unquote Brown person. Like they might be Indian or Pakistani or whatever Mm -hmm. um, so that they could pass as Egyptian and they'll play him like a goof or like a buffoon. Mm-hmm. And uh, that furthers the stereotype that the character is an idiot, which she may be. But I think it's up to me to then go, you know what, that's not really the depiction I want to make of this character. I want to give him a little more agency than that and still stay true to what's what's said on the page. Ultimately, like if I fail in the page, I fail uh, on stage too, Right. But I'm going to try to make the efforts to, um, you know, bring my character up a little bit.
0: That's yeah, that's so that's so that's another piece of advice. Yeah, try and bring a little elegance to your characters. Very good.
1: Yeah, as much as you can. Obviously ultimately like the director is going to decide how it should go. The in the editing room they'll they'll spin it the way they want to, but you you can only do what you can control and what I can control to the best of my abilities is how I present myself, how I portray myself and I'm, you know, try to make the best out of it.
0: That's okay. That's great advice, man. And uh, all you uh, aspiring artists and uh, actors of color and, you know, white actors, too. uh, I think that advice goes uh, to everyone. Um, But yeah, thank you for for joining us on the Sinestro podcast. I hope you can come back again sometime and uh, we could chat movies and uh, TV again.
1: (laughs) Yeah, thanks so much. It was a blast.
0: All right. Well, you guys, stay safe. Uh, enjoy this quarantine. Try and uh, you know watch as much movies and TV as you can. Stay safe. Uh, social distancing, and uh, that's our pod for today. Sinestro, out.